0: So we are in our last week of a series that we called uh, Christian Atheists. So next week, we will be starting an Advent series. I really encourage you to be here for that. It's kind of um, a different, not really a different look, but we're, kind of, we're going to be looking at the Advent, you know, the, the peace and the hope and the joy, those different weeks of Advent. And so what we're, we're going to kind of dive into each one of those and what they mean and how they can be uh, practically applied to where we're at in our lives today. Um, but for this week, we are finishing up Christian atheists, which sounds weird, right like there's no such thing as a Christian atheist, and we 've talked about this every week but but an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God, right? So if you look at the actions of their life, they don't they, they live like they don 't believe he 's real. A Christian believes God exists, so if you you marry the two, what you get is someone that believes in God but lives as though he doesn't exist. And so we've kind of gone in and we've unpacked this each week. The first week we looked at those who believe in God, but they don't really know him. And there's a difference between believing in God and knowing God intimately. And then last week we looked at those who believe in God but don't fear him. And it wasn't necessarily like a a fear, if I mess up, God's gonna smite me, but a fear of like a holy reverence of taking his word for what it is and obeying him even when it seems hard. Last week we talked about it, we called it a, a customized Christianity, right? Where you pick and choose the things you wanna believe and don't wanna believe. Well, this week we're looking at the Christian atheist as someone who believes in God, but they don't really wanna be a fanatic. Right. I believe in God and everything, but like he's not going to be the thing I talk about. He's not going to be what I what I say all the time. He's not going to people that I work with might not even know that I'm a believer because like I believe he's there, but I don't want to look like a crazy person. Right. And there's this sense of if if last last week was a customized Christianity, I think this week is going to be a comfortable Christianity. And we all like comfort. Right. Like, hey, I like comfort. Sometimes I'll admit I like comfort a little too much. All right When I'm going to bed, like when I'm laying down, I need my covers to be the right way. I've got to have all seven of my pillows in the right spot. And if, if Lauren, I swear, if Lauren takes one of my pillows, it is no, absolutely not. The term that she has used is the bed Nazi. Okay, that's what she's called me because I have to be comfortable when I'm going to sleep. True story. There's one time we're asleep, dead middle of the night. Me and Britton actually have this this in common. Um, dead of the night, sleeping, and I feel this something kind of crawl across my face, (laughs) right? And I'm I'm like half asleep, don't really think much of it, I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever, and I keep sleeping. And then I kind of feel something on my arm, (laughs) and I'm like, what is that? And I kind of wake up and I look down, and there is a cockroach the size of my foot, right? I mean, it's like... I mean, it's really just only like this big, right? But in the middle of the night, and there's a cockroach in the bed, I jump up and I fling it across the room. I'm like scared to death, all right, don't judge me, it's the middle of the night, I didn't know what was going on, but I have this realization that this thing was just on my face, <laughs> right? And the the rest of the night and actually following nights were terrible nights of rest. Why? I was uncomfortable. At any moment, this creature is going to crawl out from under the bed and eat me, right? I, I don't know what, but I'm, I'm terrified, right? And so this discomfort enters into my, my time for bed, and I can't sleep. And that's, there's this sense of, of comfort always being kind of tied in and consistent with rest, right? Comfort is rest. And the Bible is very clear that rest is important. It teaches the day of Sabbath. It's important that we rest. But I think the problem is we've taken that, and instead of being a day of Sabbath, it's a lifetime of comfort, and it's a lifetime of rest. And while this seems like it might be nice, it always ends up leading to nothing happening not accomplishing the goals that are in your life, not reaching the things, not stepping into the calling that God's given you. It always leads to a, to a place where we grow stagnant, where we're complacent. Uh-huh. And I think the problem is when we get to a place where I believe in God, but I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't want to step on other people's toes. I don't want him to you know, get into my social life. I don't want him to get into my work life. He can be my Sunday life. And even my right before I go to bed life and pray and say my prayers or before I eat, but not everywhere. That's crazy, right? Because it takes us out of our comfort zone. But if we're going to walk in the calling that God's given us, if we're going to walk in the anointing that he's given us, we have to realize that it's going to call us to discomfort. It's going to call us away from being comfortable. And I think that there's a, there's a passage in the book of Revelation that calls a church out for being comfortable. If you don't know much about the book of Revelation, we're going to be in actually Revelation 3 today, looking at verses 14 through 17 and then verse 20, if you want to go there in your Bibles. But but there's uh, at this part in Revelation, there's seven letters that John's had a vision, and he's writing these seven letters to these seven different churches. And in these letters, God's kind of speaking to the people, to these churches, and he kind of does the whole like, you know, here's some things you've done good, and here's some things you've done not so great, right? And there's like this this kind of uplifting part, but then there's always this like, uh, let's call it a building up through constructive criticism part, right? And the language is actually pretty pretty intense sometimes. It's like these churches are 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 doing some not great things, and God is calling them out for it, right? And it's for their own good. But then there's this church called in Laodicea, and this church in this city Laodicea Laodicea is uh, they don't even get the good part. God goes straight to the conviction. He goes straight to the constructive criticism. And this is what he says to them. In Revelation 3, starting with verse 14, it says, The angel of the church in Laodicea," in Laodicea write, These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Here I am, this is verse twenty. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come eat, come in and eat with that person and they with me. So what's really interesting is this church, let's be honest, they're wealthy, right? They says, I don't need a thing. If you you can go and you actually like look at the the history of this church. It was this great city and then it was actually destroyed by an earthquake. And once it was destroyed by an earthquake, you think that, that this troublesome time in your life would kind of turn you to the Lord but they're actually at a place where they're so rich and wealthy that they don't need God. They use their own wealth and they rebuild this city. And it's massive. It's, it's this cultural epicenter. There's theaters and there's shopping and there's a, uh, these fab, lavish public baths, right? Which I don't really get a public bath, okay? But but there's these lavish public baths. There's, it's, it's this place where you you go for the holidays and you end up staying because you got so much money. And it's like the Hamptons, right? It's just this, this rich place. And they've kind of got there and they've done all this stuff and they, they don't need a thing. And it's interesting because God is saying to the church, you say you don't need anything, and you're a church, right? So it's a church, so they believe in God, but their actions are as if they don't need God. And it's weird because, because we've talked about how our actions are deeds, right? He says, I know your deeds, and our deeds don't save us. Like There's this, this, this weight that has to be, that, this tension that has to be addressed because we know that, that I can't go to church enough to save my soul. I can't pray enough to save my soul. I can't do enough good to make myself get into heaven. The only way we get there is by the grace of God dying on the cross, forgiving us of our sins. But yet God is saying, I know your deeds. So there's there's something to the deeds. Right? James says that, that faith without works is dead. So So what is it? Do the works matter? And I think that It's kind of like our works, our deeds, our actions are the evidence of our faith. Many of you know that I'm married to Lauren. And it turns out that if you were to go to Wells Fargo, where I work, they too know that I'm married to Lauren, right? Uh, There's days where somebody will bring in donuts to the the bank and and I'll say, hey, I'm going to take a couple of these homes for Lauren and Addie Lee, right? Usually they make it home. Sometimes they don't. (laughs) So I take these home to Lauren and Addie Lee, right? So they know that there's somebody I care about at home to take a donut to. Um, I talk about them that I work with all women as tellers and it can be long, grueling days, right? When they talking about the crafting and decorating for Christmas and all this. And it's really fun because it's like, well, you know what? My wife really likes this stuff. And she kind of, she's not even there, but she kind of becomes a bridge so that when I'm talking to, oh, yeah, Lauren has a cricket. Yeah, she makes these t shirts. Yeah, she can make these cups. Yeah, look. And it's interesting because I'm like talking to all these people that are all my coworkers and it's like, What we're agreeing on is my wife, right? So I talk about her at work in good ways, lifting her up. Um, There's times where they come and visit me. I'm wearing a wedding ring. Like there's all these things, all these actions that would say, hey, he's married. But the truth is, I could do all of those things and not be married, right? So the actions don't make me married, but they're evidence of my marriage, And so when we look at the way that we act, we look at our deeds, we look at the way we we live our life, the second part of that statement, it is evidence of where our heart is. And God is saying, hey, I hear that you're saying you believe you're a part of this church, but your actions scream indifference. They scream that you don't need me. They scream that you got this on your own. Verse 16 that says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And and I don't doubt that if you've spent any time in the church or in the South, you've heard this verse, right? You've heard it talked about, well, you're lukewarm. You're not hot and you're cold. And, and the illustration that I think of, and I think you've probably heard it, is coffee, right? Like, I love coffee. I love hot coffee. I love iced coffee. My favorite is iced coffee, even when it's really cold. I was drinking iced coffee this morning. Like, there's just, not, don't judge me, okay? I like iced coffee. But if you leave iced coffee sitting around and the ice melts, and then you get this like watered down, lukewarm, nasty coffee, that's gross, right? Or if you get hot coffee, my problem with hot coffee is I like to sip it and savor it and enjoy it, and 90% of the time before I ever finish it, it gets lukewarm, right? And there's this sense that I like it hot, and I like it cold, but if it's in the middle, it's terrible, (laughs) Right? And so I've always heard this, and I've always said, you know what, I can really relate to that. I understand that, that lukewarm illustration, that lukewarm that, that God is talking about here. And it's like, if you're hot, I always associated that with being close to God. And if you're cold, always being far from God. And at least if you're cold, you know you're cold and God can reach you. But when you're lukewarm, you're kind of in the middle, It's almost like, you know, you believe in God, but you don't live as though he exists, right? And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But when I was studying this passage, I came across something that I found really, really interesting. And that was that in this time, in this church, it was so wealthy, they'd have these feasts and these festivals where they would serve hot drinks and cold drinks. But the way they would get the hot drinks is they would actually use these like um, funnel type aqueduct type things and they would funnel in hot water from the hot springs to make these hot drinks or they do the same process with cold springs to funnel in cold water so if you're at the front of the line you're the, the guest of honor you get first dibs right like they they've assigned that spot to you you are the one that's in high honor you get your drink and it's either hot or cold whatever you choose But if you're not a guest of high honor, you get stuck at the back of the line. By the time you get up there, your drink has either gotten or your drink has gotten lukewarm, whether you get the hot or the cold. So it's almost like this picture is not so much of where you stand and how close you are to God. But either you honor him with your life or if you're lukewarm, you're not. Hot and cold are in the same place close to God honoring him. So when God is saying, hey, you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. There's this sense of you are pretending to know me. You are going through the motions, but I am not your everything. I am not your all. I have not saturated your life. You are not, dare I say, a fanatic. There's this sense of God calling this church to go deeper. And this word that it uses when it's talking about spitting you out of your mouth, it, it literally means to spew, spit, or vomit. There's this sense of, of God is so disgusted with it. Uh, I know I use Addie Lee as an illustration all the time, so forgive me, but but Addie Lee knows right away when she eats something, if she likes it or not, right? Right away. We were at uh, Your Pie, and she loves pizza, absolutely loves pizza. And so we're at your pie. She's got her pizza. I've got my pizza. And she looks at my pizza and decides that she thinks mine's going to be better than hers, right? And I've got all kinds of nasty stuff on mine, like pesto and other green things. And, and she reaches over, and she grabs this green thing off the top of my pizza and puts it in her mouth. And it's a jalapeno pepper. <laughs> and so she grabs it, and she puts it in her mouth. And right away, Bleh! she starts like rubbing her tongue. She's asking for water. We're trying to give her water. We're like, why did you do that, right? There's this sense of as soon as it got in her mouth, she spewed it out. She spit it out. And that's this image of God wants so desperately to be your everything. That when you get to a place where you are living a life, going through the motions, a lukewarm Christian, a part of the church, but living as though God doesn't exist, it's this dangerous place where you, you almost try to save yourself. This dangerous place that's so worrisome that it could cause you to, there are people who believe they're going to heaven and they're not because they've lived their whole life trying to save themselves, not dependent on God. And it spew you out, not because I'm so, that you're such a terrible person because it's so dangerous for where you're at. See, a lukewarm Christian is really an oxymoron, right? Like a jumbo shrimp. <laughs> Same thing with Christian atheists. Like it doesn't really work. <laughs> so I was looking up oxymorons and that was the one I thought we were late. The one that was funny Microsoft Works. You get it? You get it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. So, so it's a, a, an oxymoron, right? So, so there's this sense of it doesn't really make sense because Christians should be so moved by what Jesus has done in their lives that it shouldn't be a lukewarm type of thing. It shouldn't be where I just want to be comfortable and I don't want to rub people the wrong way. And we're all guilty of being there. I'm not speaking down to you because I've been there. Uh, some, some kind of characteristics of a lukewarm Christian, and I'll just start off, I can't illustrate all of these, but I'll start off with the one that has been probably my most, what I tend to do, fall into the most. And that's if there's a lukewarm Chris, Christian, they crave acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, right? You've probably heard that before. (laughs) Woe to you when all men speak well to you. I am uh, a uh, card-carrying, people-pleaser, trying to not be that, right? Like, that's just been my tendency. I want people to like me. Uh, The way that's kind of played out is when I was younger, I knew that I shouldn't cuss, But, you know, all my friends did, and I wanted them to like me. I can actually remember the first time that I cussed intentionally, right? We're at football practice, and we're walking out there, and one of the guys, he's a new football player, and he doesn't really know how all the things work, but there's this pad that goes on your butt, and it's vertical, and it protects you from breaking your tailbone, right? And his was horizontal, and so it was very obvious. He had this weird place right on the the top of his butt, and I was like, hey, everybody, look at his A-double-S pad, right? Right? And I look around, and I like, in my head, I'm like, holy cow, I just intentionally said a cuss word. And like, if you guys know from other, like, I'm kind of a goody good, right? And there's this moment where I was like, I just did that on purpose. And I'm like looking around, and there's one of my, one of these guys, he's not one of my close friends, but he's one of the guys I talked to at practice, and he's like dying laughing. And I'm like oh no, he knows that I'm uncomfortable that I just said that on a... And then he said it and then everybody starts laughing and there's like this... I mean, I didn't come up with the phrase, but apparently it seemed to them that I did, right? And there's this sense of like everybody, oh, that was really funny, George. And it was like cocaine. I was like, I can cuss and people like me. And so from then on, it was like, I was cussing like a sailor. Like if people liked it when I cussed, I would cuss, but not at home because then I'd get in trouble, right? It was just at school, one time I go over to my buddy Colby's house and we're there and we're there and all of his his brother and all of their high school friends are there and we're in middle school and so like, how do you get high school kids to like you? Use high school language, right? And so I said every word under the sun except for GD cuz I always kind of knew that that was wrong, right? But I was I was potty mouth. Potty mouth, right? Into the weekend, my mom calls. She's like, "Hey, it's time to go. You've got football practice." And the first word out of my mouth (laughs) was not one that you should say in front of your mom. (laughs) All right. It's often used to uh, block water from going from one place to another. (laughs) If you're picking up what I'm putting down, right? And, And my mom said, what did you say? And I was scrambling in my mind. How do I fix this? How do I fix this? Man, she said, don't you lie to me. You didn't say man. And I'm like, no, I didn't. She's like, I'm coming to get you right now all right? It was not good, not good. Everybody's laughing at me. My face is red. I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. Got grounded for a week. It was was not good, right? But there was this moment where I wish I could say I learned it then, but I didn't learn it for, for years later. But there's a moment that happened where I look back at my life and I saw, well, I was trying to please everybody because that was comfortable for me, right? conflict was uncomfortable and so I was avoiding the conflict oftentimes being fake superficial doing whatever I had to do so that everybody would like me and it always ended up in trouble somebody always ended up not happy there was nothing you can do there's nothing you can do to please everybody somebody's going to be mad always unfortunately <laughs> And so there's this sense of why would I live my life trying to get acceptance from everybody instead of getting acceptance from God? And, and I worried about what people were thinking more than what God was thinking about. And that's something that a lukewarm Christian does, right? They don't really care about God's opinion of them as long as people like them. Something else a lukewarm Christian does is they, they rarely share their faith in Christ. This is another sense of I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to offend somebody. And what worries me is, is there are times where you could share your faith and you know what? You're going to offend somebody. But there's other times where you are so afraid of offending somebody that in turn, you rob them from an opportunity to spend eternity with Christ. You rob them from the opportunity of God saving them and them walking in the fullness of what it means to be a Christian. We can't let the, the fear of offense Keep us from being a fanatic talking about what God's done for me. This often happens when we kind of lose sight of what it really means to be saved. The fact that I was once a sinner. The fact that I once only cared about what people thought and not about what God thought. And I got to a place where I realized He died on the cross to to, to, to destroy that sin in my life. And now I walk in this freedom of not being bound by what people think, but being bound by what my heavenly father thinks, right? There's this sense of not being afraid of of offending people because I'm so in love with God. And that joy overcomes us and that joy speaks out of our life. And we stop worrying about what other people think and we share our faith. Something else that, that a lukewarm Christian does is they they do whatever it takes to alleviate their guilt. <laughs> we were talking about this in the car yesterday, that, that we've as, as pastors, we've been in places where people come to church and get saved every Sunday. Like, didn't you like raise your hand last week? <laughs> didn't you go to the altar last week? But the problem is we live in a life where where a lot of times if there's a habitual sin or an addiction, we we succumb to it even though we don't want to. And there's a sense of it's a process of, of, of getting out of that, of finding help and confessing to God, but also confessing to people. And there's the sense of feeling guilty because I fell short again. And if I can just get saved every Sunday, that feels really good. It gets rid of that guilt. And what you realize is, is your soul is saved and God wants to do more than just get you out of hell and get you into heaven. He wants to give you freedom here now. And there's other steps. There's a discipleship process that follows salvation. And so there's this sense of of not just doing whatever it takes to alleviate our guilt, but falling madly in love with him. They think more about life on earth than eternity in heaven. They gauge their morality by comparing themselves to others. I'm not as bad as he is. Well, I didn't say it like she did. And we think, well, we're good because we're not as bad as them. They want to be saved from the penalty of sin without changing their lives. It's kind of like, how far can I go? How fast can I go without getting a ticket? Yeah, the speed limit's 70, but I bet I can get up to like 85, you know? And we tow that line. How close can we get without it actually being sin? They only turn to God when they're in a bind. God becomes a tool in a toolbox. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Oh no, the car's not working. God, please help me. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Oh no, dad's sick again. God, help me. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good until something bad happens, then I'll cry out to God. They give whenever it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. How much do I have to give? Do I have to tithe? Can I just give when I have some extra? They're not much different from the rest of the world. The last one I have is they want the benefits of what Christ did without conforming to who Christ is. There's the sense of being transformed by Christ, not just accessing his forgiveness. And it's really easy to get there. This church, it talked about, this is that in verse 17, that you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. I mean, if I could kind of describe where I feel like the American church is right now, I would say that, right? We've acquired big crowds I've acquired money. Even maybe not just the church, maybe just our wives. I, I take care. And I can take care of myself because I've started this business. It's the American dream, right? I've started this business. I've got this money. I'm good. I don't need God, and it's easy to get there, right? It says they had theaters, stadiums, shopping centers. Sound familiar, right? Like it's a sense it's it's easy to get there. Where I mean, look at our look at our economy. Look at our city. Look at our. It's easy to get to that place where you've achieved success and you don't need god but it says but they do not realize that they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked we can be we can have worldly wealth and be spiritually bankrupt we can be lukewarm and loving it and that's terrifying but the good news is, verse 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I love this picture because I, again, I'm using Addie Lee as an illustration, but there's this, this sense of when I come home from work, Lauren and Addie Lee are at the house, and they'll be playing in the floor. And Addie Lee can hear the keys start to turn to the, the, unlock the door, and she kind of knows that somebody's walking in. And she looks, and she starts looking, and I will open the door, and she'll go, oh. and then she'll come running up to me. It's like what you see in all the movies, and it's all really exciting. And it's like she's so excited that dad is home. She's so excited that dad's home. And she runs up to me and I pick her up, throw up her in the air, give her a kiss and a hug. And there's this beautiful moment of being so excited that dad is home. And there's this sense of God is saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And the way we move from lukewarm, comfortable Christianity is being so excited that God is at the door knocking. We invite him in and we eat with him and he invades every part of our life. People at work know we're excited. Excited about God. People in our social life know we're excited about God. The cashier at Kroger knows we're excited about God. But you know, my life isn't all picture perfect. There are some days I walk through the door and Addie Lee's watching an iPad and I'm like, Daddy's home and she's like and I'm like, can I have a kiss? And I go up to try to get a kiss and she'll actually go and look down, and I'm like, what am I, chopped liver? Yesterday, you were excited. But it's crazy how something can distract us when we find our way back into comfortable Christianity. The truth is, you hear those things, and it can be like, well, yeah, I have have maybe this symptom of a lukewarm Christian, but not that one. Or maybe, you know what, today, man, I'm on fire, but tomorrow, not so much. Because distractions creep in, listen, I'm not questioning your salvation because you have a a comfortable tendency. What I'm saying is as a church, as a Christian, as a person who follows Christ, let's get excited that dad is home. Let's get excited that Christ died for us. Let's let that invade us and get uncomfortable. Yeah, it's hard to have that conversation. Yeah, it's hard to follow that calling. Yeah, it's it's hard to do what God's asked me to do. But man, he loves me so much. He died on the cross. He forgave my sin. He's empowered me. He's encouraging me. He's uplifting me. I am so excited. I want everybody to know it. Not just what he did for me, but what he can do for you. Life is hard. Your your relationships are falling apart. You're having trouble at work. Man, let me tell you about what God did for me. Let me tell you about my Savior. There's this moment of breaking out of lukewarm Christianity and being so thrilled at what Jesus did on the cross that we can't help but share that love and share that faith. When you know him, you crave his acceptance. You share him whenever and wherever possible. You long to be with him in eternity. This world is not your home. You give radically Generously, generosity and fanatically, you seek God faithfully. You grieve over sinfulness, and you're different. You're set apart. You're excited about what he's done and who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for your spirit that you've anointed us, that you've entered us, or that you transform us. We're no longer bound by the old. We're no longer bound by the flesh, but we're set free in you. And Lord, there's so many distractions, especially around the holidays. We think about all the things that have gone wrong, that aren't going smoothly, about all the stress. We've got to get this cooked and this cleaned, and it can just crowd our thinking, and it can crowd our lifestyle. But Lord, let us be marked by your joy and your excitement this year. We enter into Thanksgiving, and then we enter into the Christmas season, Lord. Let it just be a a season of praising you and worshiping you and excited about who you are. We're not afraid to, to let you into every aspect of our life. Lord, let us be known as being fanatically crazy about who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.